Welcome to the Stone Conversation Podcast, covering everything to do with buying, selling and investing in real estate. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just wanting to start out, Stone Conversations will bring you content to inspire and inform you on your journey. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Stone Podcast. My name is Peter Mumford, CEO of Stone Real Estate. Today, we have a real treat for you. Today, we're going to be speaking with Tim Lawless. Tim is CoreLogic's Group Research Director across Australia and New Zealand. Tim is widely regarded as one of Australia's leading property market analysts and commentators by the business and media community. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Peter. Great, great to be on your program. Tim, it's, um, it's been an interesting time, certainly being in real estate and certainly if you are just about to hit the market or you're about to go to auction a few days after the government decided to close down the auctions around mid-March. So it's uh, been some exciting times, and I'm sure you've certainly seen a lot of things happening out there in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've heard it described uh, in a lot of ways. Interesting and, and exciting is, is, is one of them. But uh, you know, if you think about the marketplace prior to the middle of March, it was actually really strong. We were seeing this, this really strong trajectory of growth being led by Sydney and Melbourne, of course, but also seeing some of the weaker markets like Perth and, and Brisbane and Adelaide also on a on an upward trajectory. But that all changed around about uh, the, well, mid to late March as we saw the pandemic um, announced as a global pandemic. But uh, probably more importantly, as we saw, as you mentioned, a lot of the state's um, border closures and international border closures and uh, social distancing policies being implemented specific to housing, that's where we really started to see the market changing quite swiftly. Yeah, uh, not necessarily idea. values falling, but yeah, it was mostly initially a really sharp fall in, in activity from both buyers and sellers. I noticed, um, obviously for us from a real estate point of view, and you know, it, it sort of didn't come to a grinding halt, but it certainly, um, it, significantly I would have seen probably volumes drop offs anywhere from 70 to 80% within that first couple of last week's March as they closed everything down. And then things have changed and as things have got relaxed and people got used to a little bit of online auctions and, and so on, it picked up a bit, but it was still sniffling down in April and then we started to see you know an uplift through May and June from volumes. What I found really interesting, just reading through your latest report, which is amazing and, and amazing research, that a lot of the general public, unfortunately, are hearing so much different confusing messages out there in, in the media from various people, whether it's government or commentators, and they're not always actually factual, and sometimes people are panicking. So I thought it would be great today to go through a few questions about your latest report you've brought out for June um, and actually give some people some of the facts and real percentages, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great place to start. And uh, it, it is confusing, I think, for people who aren't uh, living it and breathing it every day, as, as you and I are. It's, um, you're generally relying on what we see in the press, which uh, there can be a lot of conflicting messages out there. So, uh, yeah, it's good to, good to go through some of the, the actual facts and figures. So maybe we can just jump straight in and let's talk about the housing market since COVID's happened. Um, how are you sort of seeing it at the moment? How have you seen around property values and so on across Australia? Well, I think there's probably two broad themes we're seeing in the market. Uh, one would be one of resilience in terms of values. Uh, there, there is some downwards pressure on values in most parts of Australia, but it seems quite mild at the moment. Um, and I think there's a quite, quite a few reasons why we haven't seen values falling more sharply than what they have. We'll talk about those in a moment. But the other theme would be one of you know, largely hibernation. We've seen 
both buyers and sellers retreating to the sidelines uh, in, in late March and moving through April, uh, our estimates of transactional activity for April were down by about 33% for the month. So compared to, to March through to the end of April, we saw activity fall by about a third. Uh, we saw listing numbers dropping really sharply as well. So there was less stock out there to, to buy, which I think was one of the insulating factors for housing values. But um, the good news is uh, that we have started to see activity bouncing back through through May. Um, our estimates was it was up about 19% in terms of the number of sales through May and early signs for June. I know we're only halfway through June at the moment, but it looks like uh, activities improved further. Still well below average, but, uh, but definitely rising from those April lows. And I noticed a part of your report too, you outlined the new stock, this new stock coming to market as well as existing stock. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more for the consumer so they understand what's happening there? Yeah, this is a really important uh, um, component of, of measuring what you might describe as effective supply levels. How much, how much, uh, how many homes are out there advertised for sale? So on one side of that, um, that that counts, you've got how much fresh stock is being added to the market. And a new listing or a fresh listing is simply one that hasn't been advertised over the past six months. So it's it's new to market in that sense. It doesn't necessarily mean it's newly built. So uh, the, the trend we've seen in new listing numbers is a really sharp fall away through late March and into April and bottoming out in early May. So we saw new listing numbers well below where they had been over previous years. But since early May, we have been seeing uh, a consistent trend towards more stock coming onto the market, more more new listings. In fact, it's up by about 30% through to the middle of June uh, from early May. The other side of the listings count, though, is the total number of listings, which includes both that new listing count and relistings. So relistings are properties that have been you know, advertised uh, for on, on more than one occasion or you know, whatever time period. So the, the trend in total listings has been actually really flat. So while we've seen a 30% rise in new listings coming on the market, we've actually seen a subtle downwards trend in total listings. And what that implies is that for every new property or every new listing that's being added to the market, there's been a buyer for it. So that those new listings are being absorbed quite quickly. In fact, the ratio of new listings to total sales is about 1.3. So what that means is for each property that's added to the market as an advertisement, there's 1.3 sales, which is why we're seeing this, this gradual reduction in overall supply levels. Now, I'm, I'm, from what I'm seeing across a lot of our offices, I'm not seeing a massive drop in property prices in, in some areas, certainly, example, Manly, which I look, I'm not too far away from. I'm, I've been watching some of the prices actually jump a little bit. Um, it, it's really interesting. Obviously, there's a whole lot of different segments of the market, and, and some of the really high-end prices I've noticed they've had you know great gains over the last sort of nine months, you know, up until early March. But then maybe they've come off a little bit. There's certainly less buyers, maybe in the higher end. But how how are you finding that? What are what are the stats telling you across the market? Because you've got a broad picture so of Australia. Yeah, if we start at a fairly macro level, but, uh, say say across the combined capital cities. We've been seeing some really mild downward pressure on housing values since since the market peaked, which was uh, um, back in in sort of late April, it seems, in terms of values. Capital city values are down by about zero point nine percent, so nearly nearly one percent down. And remember, this is after they've risen quite substantially over the past twelve months. So, even though over the past say uh, month and a half they're down about one percent, 
over the past 12 months, we're still seeing capital city housing values up by 9.5%, just highlighting how strong that growth cycle has been prior to COVID-19. So the, the, the difference in, um, in housing prices, the trend in housing prices is quite different from the capital cities, between the capital cities. At one end of the spectrum, you've got Melbourne, where we've seen housing values have fallen by about 2% from their peak, from their recent peak at least. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, somewhere like Adelaide has actually seen housing values holding pretty firm, that they're down 0.2%. So it's a, essentially flat. Brisbane's been pretty flat as well, down 0.3%. Whereas Sydney is somewhere in between. Uh, housing values have fallen by 0.8% uh, since they peaked. Um, and, and it looks like when we look at that, that rolling monthly trend in housing values, it looks like that rate of decline is starting to stabilize now at around about down 1% month on month, uh, in line with, with some improvements in what we've seen in the level of activity over the past two months as well. And, and obviously, property is obviously linked to consumer confidence and we've seen a lot of that sort of come back as restrictions are being lifted and obviously you're noticing that in some of your numbers um are you constantly looking at the consumer confidence sort of numbers coming out there in the marketplace yeah i think this is one of the more important indicators uh, particularly for housing um, activity and of course the more activity in the market you generally see that putting some upwards pressure on on housing values so consumer sentiment there's a few different ways to measure sentiments but generally it's a survey-based uh, measure. Uh, so there's, there's two main indicators. One comes from ANZ and Roy Morgan, but that's a weekly consumer sentiment indicator. And the other widely followed indicator comes from Westpac and the Melbourne Institute. And they both show a really similar trend that consumer, consumer confidence or consumer sentiment absolutely fell off a cliff in late March and moving through early April. It got down to levels that um, we hadn't seen since about the last recession back in the early 1990s in the space of about a month. Whereas in the last recession, it took a few years for confidence to get that low. Uh, but what happened after that, uh, that really um, uh, significant drop in early April was that we started to see consistently week-on-week -week sentiment was improving to the extent now where in mid-June, we've seen those sentiment readings get back to where they were in mid-March, so about where they were pre-COVID which is amazing when you think about the uncertainty uh, and the volatility and uh, just, just the, uh, the, the level of, um, of angst we've seen from COVID-19 that yes. we've seen such a rapid rebound in consumer sentiment. And this is one of the reasons why we've started to see transactional activity consistently improving as well, as consumers feel more confident and more uh, comfortable in their ability to hold a job and their household finances and so forth they're becoming more confident to make hiking in the decisions, which of course is what buying a home is, is all about. I think we've all been caged up for too long, Tim. I think we're all rushing out to <laughs> open houses and to meet people and better buy a property. Um, and obviously sometimes, you know, I've been an investor in different parts of my life and, and there's many more experienced commentators on investment than myself out there. Um, but obviously there's always good times to be looking for a property. Um, it's not always about buying at the top sometimes when it looks like your darkest hour might be time to be looking for property, but that's a whole other subject. But how does this, the current thing we've been going through with the COVID and this drop, um, is it similar to previous periods you've seen over the years? Obviously, we've been through, you know, the financial crisis in 08. There was, was one in the 90s and so on. How do you feel this compares and so on? Well, it's quite different in many ways, but also it's really similar in many ways. So the reason it's different is, 
this is absolutely a black swan. It's, it's come out of the blue. Nobody was really expecting uh, uh, the entire world to, to catch a virus and, uh, and everything would stall. So in that way, it's, it's completely uh, unexpected. Uh, whereas previous shocks had generally been either based around equity-related events, say you know, the Black Mondays and, and so forth, uh, recessions like in the early 1990s or credit tightening events like what we saw in the GFC or uh, the more recent sort of period where we saw a lot of macro prudential policies being implemented. Uh, that was in late 2014 and then um, uh, in early 2017. And then we started to see the Royal Commission. But throughout each of those types of examples, we typically saw housing values uh, being negatively impacted quite modestly. So the last recession, for example, we saw housing values fall by around 7% from peak to trough. The transactional activity fell by more than 25% from peak to trough. During the GFC, we saw housing values fall by around 8 or 9%. But again, activity fell by about 25%. In the most recent downturn, which was much more significant, we saw Sydney values fell by about 15% and Melbourne was down by about 11%. But we saw activity fall by about 40%. So typically in each of these scenarios, we have seen some mild downwards pressure on housing values, but much more impact on activity in the market. And in many ways, that's what we're seeing at the moment, maybe a little bit more amplified in the sense that uh, uh, we are seeing a much larger decline in activity and, and much sharper, but already starting to see some improvement from those record lows. I think um, it sort of takes us into a little bit of all the different segments of the market and it is uncharted territory what we're all going through at the moment, so we don't know how it's going to pan out over the next six months. But certainly some areas are stronger than others, and obviously certain. this will take us on to discussing rental markets, I guess, in a moment, but certain uh, high-rise unit blocks are suffering a bit more, and then certain areas with houses, prices haven't dropped as much. What are you, what are you seeing there across that the broader market from high-end houses to units and so on that are being affected and, and where they're sitting? Yeah, it's really important to remember the market is is very fragmented. Uh, it generally shows very different performances across either price points or product types or geographically between the inner and the outer ring suburbs. So interestingly enough, what we're seeing at the moment is it's that higher end of the marketplace in Sydney and Melbourne that tends to be dragging the numbers down quite a bit. Um, a lot of people would look at, say, blue chip suburbs and think that's generally where you see uh, housing markets more protected or insulated. But the reality is it's quite often those higher end markets tend to lead the cycles. They tend to lead the upswings, but they also lead the downturns. Um, something the RBA has, has uh, talked about more recently as well, that uh, um, those upper quartile property values, so that the, the most, most expensive markets tend to be much more reactive to things like monetary policy as well. And that's exactly what we're seeing at the moment is those upper end of the markets, which clearly led the growth cycle are now showing uh, a larger declines or losing momentum more quickly. Also, when you look across, say, houses versus apartments, we're seeing this um, maybe surprising trend that house values seem to be under some slightly further downwards pressure or more downwards pressure than unit values. But when you start to look at that trend more geographically, it's the, the, the middle ring and outer fringe apartment markets that seem to be holding the value better, but it's the inner city newly built high-rise, generally investment-grade markets that seem to be quite weak. And I think that will be a trend to watch for going forward as we do see uh, uh, the impact of less migration coming into Australia. Uh, about 80% of new migrants to the country would typically be renters. 
uh, and they tap, they quite often rent in those inner city apartment markets, uh, as well as foreign students um, being um, obviously not arriving, domestic students studying from home rather than uni. So there's a whole bunch of factors that I think are going to be impacting on demand for those inner city apartments, uh, which will probably drag prices lower more so than, than other segments of the market. It is interesting. You wouldn't necessarily expect some of the high ends to be coming off a bit, but in some ways they've had a fair amount of massive price growth as well. And I think you, you were talking earlier, overall the, the market's had a pretty reasonably good growth over the last 12 months, even with a slight downturn. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the long-term growth rate, say over say a 10 or 15 or 20-year period, it is typically those, those higher-end uh, um, areas that show much stronger long-term uh, capital gains. So a little bit more volatile, but uh, but over time they, they tend to outperform because of their their inherent scarcity. Yeah, everyone wants to live there. We all we all want to all uh, move it. to a better place, don't we? One day. Um, yeah. Obviously, the government's brought out the, uh, something to help with the home builders. There. Um, have you seen any um, material impact on prices or what that's going to do? No, not not yet. And uh, you know, there's. I think you need to applaud the government for the amount of stimulus that they've been able to, to pump into the marketplace, not just the home builder grant, but uh, you know, JobKeeper and uh, um, uh, or the, particularly the, um, uh, the lender uh, repayment holidays as well, which obviously isn't the government, it's, it's the banking sector. But the home builder grant itself probably is, has been quite polarizing. Uh, a lot of people would point to it and say, well, it's, uh, its eligibility requirements are, are quite stringent. Uh, if you want to renovate, you need to do a renovation that's more than $150,000 in value. If you want to um, uh, utilize the, the new building grants, you need to be building within three months of signing the contract, which means a lot of people just simply wouldn't be ready for that. That probably discounts um, a lot of that stimulus going to the unit market as well, where the, the, the time period between signing the contract and, and building is quite often longer than, than three months. So it'll be interesting to see how effective this is. I think, um, personally, my view is we'll probably see most of this stimulus going towards the greenfield housing markets, which are shovel-ready. Uh, uh, so more out-of-fringe new housing estates. And additionally, into first home buyers. First home buyers, if they blend the, uh, the, the, the home builders grant together with empty concessions that are available in some states for first home buyers, as well as the first home buyers grant, then in some cases they may be seeing uh, quite significant uh, leg up to get into the marketplace for, for building a property. Yeah, it's um, certainly interesting times as we move forward. And, and as you said, looking at the whole report for the month, um, I'm noticing obviously our increase of volumes is certainly going up, but the stock is moving quickly. So I guess none of us know where the market's going to take us over the next three or four months, and I don't know if you have any uh, predictions on that or, or how you see it panning out towards Christmas. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the next uh, the next three or four months will probably be more of the same. Uh, the market seems to be stabilising in many ways, if not actually seeing some improvement. But longer than that, once we get into sort of late September, um, early October, is really going to be the big test for, for the housing market. Uh, that's when we see a lot of the stimulus being wound back. It's when we see repayment holidays from lenders are due to expire as well. And that'll be, uh, I think, uh, a challenging time for the marketplace. We could see more urgent sales coming into the market at that stage. We're probably going to start to see mortgage arrears uh, start to lift. There's some borrowers simply can't uh, keep up with their mortgage repayments. And uh, the extent to how much that impacts on the housing market really depends on what's the economic trajectory. Uh, at the moment, 
the economic trajectory in, in terms of performance is looking somewhere between the, the best case scenario and a central case scenario from the RBA. So it looks pretty healthy to me. So hopefully by the time we get to this period where a lot of the stimulus is either being removed or tapering, we do see labor markets have tightened up considerably. We do see uh, the economy is moving back into some level of growth. But uh, that's going to be the big wild card, I think, in our, in our views on over the medium to longer term uh, nature of housing performance. I think if we all had a crystal ball and we could pick the uh, top and the bottom of the property market or the share market, we'd all be billionaires, wouldn't we? Uh, I don't think you and I would be here talking on this podcast, but no. in that way. <laughs> now, <laughs> look, Tim, thank you so much for today. And I think uh, reading through your program is amazing. And I'm certainly going to put the link to everyone to Core Logics, certainly their news page, because there's a lot wealth of information. And I'd certainly you know, encourage everyone to listen more, read more, but get the actual facts, not just to instant property spruikers be very careful um that's why i love listening to tim's reports reading that information so certainly uh have a look to that page uh tim thank you again i know you've got another report coming out in july so maybe we can touch base again then and see how the last month's tracked across the country great thanks peter uh wonderful to be on the show thanks tim very much have a great week bye-bye well thanks all for listening again today it's been great having you all tune in um, I hope it gives you a little bit of information out there and it is important to get the facts. So again, I will put the link at the bottom of this podcast on our page today so you can go to the Court Logic page, read some of the news articles and stay informed. Have a great week all and happy property investing and buying. Thanks for joining us on the Stone Real Estate Conversation podcast. Make sure you visit us at stonerealestate.com.au. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. While you're at it, if you found value in the podcast and the conversations on today's show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply make sure you tell a friend about the conversation we had. Be sure to join us on our next episode with more information on buying, selling and investing in real estate. Bye for now.